Okay, grab a wee seat, get comfy. It is lovely to see you all. If you maybe slipped in when we'd already started or when worship was going, good morning. My name is Laura. If we've not met, I would love to meet you. We'll be at the welcome area at the end. We'd love to say hi if you're new or visiting here with us today. And maybe you've been here for a couple of weeks and you're like, I don't know who you are. I've been away for a little bit, which has been lovely. Uh, but it's also been really, really nice to come back. It's always so good to come back. And I am unapologetically using my return to Glasgow as an excuse to draw a massive line in the sand and say, okay, that season was one season in my life, and now I am stepping into a new season, because I feel like if I don't draw a line in the sand, then it all has just kind of blurred together. That's how life is, is sort of starting to feel, and yet life is barreling on. Life is barreling on, and I can choose right now to step into a new moment in my life, or I can just let it blur together because uncertainty remains for us. Although at least we are now certain that we are going to feel fairly uncertain about things as they come. We've been through a shaking time and there's still dust in the air. The pandemic rages on whether we want it to or not. We watch on our sofas over here as we see things that are literally like dystopian TV shows come to be people's reality on the other side of the world. We might feel helpless, we might feel confused, we don't quite know what to do with the brokenness of our world, and yet somehow we have to keep living here for now. We have to keep going. And as we do, I believe that we are also going to have a chance here to step into a new season as a church family as well. I was on a plane recently, and as I was on the plane, I remembered a, a fun quirk about me, which is that I can't stay awake on a plane. The minute it starts to taxi, it's like I have conditioned myself in years of doing the wee like Glasgow, Belfast, Belfast, Glasgow flight, which is literally like, like up, down, 20 minutes, you're there. I've conditioned myself somehow, mind, body, and soul, that the minute a plane starts moving, it's like, and I am gone. And I noticed it this time on my London flight because I was determined to stay awake because the BA staff were coming down the aisle with some free crisps. <laughs> and I was like, it's a freebie, I can't, I can't miss this. So I was trying to stay awake. I was like, how is this what happens to me on a plane? Because I don't nap. If I've, if I've had a nap, then something is wrong normally if I'm on level ground. But I don't nap. I find it really hard to nap. But on a plane, I'm like, boom, I am napping, and this is great. Now, maybe you think, okay, that sounds ideal, actually, if you're someone who can sleep on a plane. I can't sleep on a plane, right? It, it is ideal on the 20 minutes Belfast-Glasgow flight where you're like up, down. On a long-haul flight, it's the worst thing ever because it means the minute you're in, I'm in my seat, my seatbelt's on, I'm asleep, but only for half an hour. And then I wake up and I feel like I've been pulled inside out and my contact lenses are stuck to my eyes and I can't see and I'm accidentally grazing the shoulder of the anonymous man to my right. And then we've got seven and a half hours more to do and I'm awake, ready for the day, but I feel sick because I napped. It's Vision Sunday today and I want us today to think about reawakening because I sense in myself and I sense out there generally that as the world gets into motion again, as things are moving again, as life is busy again, I could just fall asleep to God because I've been conditioned to. And because things are still weird and difficult, it won't be a blissful sleep. But whether I like it or not, I could just become someone who only wakes up when there's turbulence. Life is 
moving on, but we can stop and assess, okay, what are the most important things and are they the most important things? And actually, is it not just that they're the most important things here, but if you look at my life, does it say that they're the most important things to me? Most days, my mind feels a little bit like this, and the things that are swimming through my mind are not the most important things. It's things like, okay, what is life gonna look like next year? When will I be able to travel again? Will buffets ever be possible again? But I have felt something shift in me recently, and it's been like, you know in those um, David Attenborough documentaries where you see like lots of little fish swimming along, and then all of a sudden this big massive fish just comes and eats them all? I felt a little bit like one question has come and just eaten all the rest, and I've been wondering again with God, why am I here? Why am I here? No matter what next year looks like, why am I here? What am I for? Who am I really? I've not been this existential since I was about eight years old and would just lie awake at night pondering the concept of forever. And yet here I am again with the big questions. Who am I going to be if God has put me here and now? Why? What does it mean for my life? What am I here for? And as, I, as we look ahead together as a church right now, I want us all to consider why are we here? And in a bit of a meta sense, because I mean like, why am I here? Why are we here? All of us together, kind of the connection of those two things. We know that they connect as we find ourselves in local church, doing everything we do in life through local church and in, in this family together. Okay, so confession time. Um, sometimes I do this awful thing where I shake a bag of granola so that the good bits come to the top and then I eat them. Anyone else? No, because you're not awful people. Oh, there's some Signs of acknowledgement, okay. Shake the bag of granola, life hack, the like nuts and fruit and stuff will come to the top, you can just pick them out. Um, but if you live with someone who now does that, I apologize in advance, you will be able to tell because the granola will no longer have any good bits in it. But anyway, I do that with a bag of granola and it's Vision Sunday and we know that in times of our lives where we are shaken, if we let him, the Holy Spirit will allow certain things to come to the surface. And as we think about vision today, I don't want to introduce a new vision to us. But I just wanna spend a little bit of time right now shaking the bag and hoping that the ultimate vision will come to the top again, that we can actually take hold of it and be like, okay, no, this is my vision, this is our vision, this is why we're here, this is what we're going to do as we step into the future together. Okay, granola, analogy, done, gone. At Rehope, here as a family, as a church, as one church in multiple locations, our first and forever vision is that we exist to lay the foundations of a long-lasting reawakening. What do we mean by reawakening? We mean the church coming alive to Jesus, like really coming awake to who he is, and then in that being filled with the Holy Spirit, moving from apathy to boldness, on fire for Jesus, so awake to who he is. And then as that happens, reawakening fuels revival. People hear the gospel, people experience the love of God, they turn to Jesus, they give their lives to him. We are convinced here at this church that our best thing we have, the best thing we will ever have to impact Glasgow, is a reawakened church, which means it'll be me awake, you fully awake, us awake. That is what's going to be best. Jesus, through that, impacting the community that we are in. Any well-meaning thing we do, any program we do that is disconnected from that will not ultimately work. Although we could, with sleepy hearts and minds toward God, we could do some good things, we will not ultimately make a dent in anyone's soul, in anyone's need for hope in our city without being awake to who God is. 
reawakening that lasts is the why behind everything we do here, everything we are. It's why we do Bible read through the way that we do it. It's why we do pre-service prayer the way that we do it. It's why we pour our heart and soul into any of the little details along the way. It's because we want to see you come awake here. It's the vision on which any other vision of our church is built. And our hope and my prayer is that whether you come for one Sunday to this church or you're here for a thousand and one Sundays, is that you would come more awake to Jesus here while you're here, that he would do that in you here. So I want to turn to scripture right now and I want to see what does God's word have to say about reawakening for us right now this morning. And I'm going to look at King Hezekiah's story. He's probably my favorite Old Testament king. Sorry, King David, unpopular opinion, but love King Hezekiah. If you want to follow along in your own paper Bible um, or on your phone, whatever, please do. Um, I'll be going between 2 Kings 17 and 18 and 2 Chronicles 29 to 31-ish. So that'll be where we'll be dipping in, but it will be on the screen for you as well. So the context here, before we read, is that the Israelites, God's people, are in exile because their hearts have turned away from God. In 2 Kings, we read this. It says, the Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. Verse 12 says, they worshiped idols, even though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord warned them through all his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways, but they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They imitated the nations around them, though the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. And so it goes on to say, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Second Chronicles says this about the Israelites. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, verse 8, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He's made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. Our moment in history is very different in the details, but our problem is the same. We have turned our hearts away from God. We've turned our backs on God. We worship the wrong things. And if we can remember in 2021 that no matter how complicated the world before us and around us might seem, that this is the actual problem, that no matter what we do, we can't solve for ourselves or solve for anyone else, then we will come awake to our need and everyone's need for a God who saves, for a God who's able to save. Our shared context is divided hearts, false gods, wrong worship, and then as a result, a severed, a spoiled relationship with the God who is the true God. So facing this context, what did Hezekiah do to bring about reawakening? In 2 Kings 18, it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Reawakening starts with one, one 
person stepping out of the mob, stepping off the cultural conveyor belt and holding fast to the God of the Bible. It starts with crowd-denying faithfulness. Holding fast for Hezekiah looks like what it would look like for us as well. Holding fast to God doesn't mean I hold fast to him and try to drag him into my own things, but actually that I hold fast to him and go wherever he leads, do whatever is right in his eyes. I love roller coasters. Uh, this is a wee photo of a roller coaster called 13, which is at Alton Towers. I think it's called 13 because there's 13 loops. Is that correct? Yep. Someone said that with real confidence. Okay. Did you make it? Is the founder of Alton Towers here? I don't know. That's amazing. Okay. Yes. 13 loops on that roller coaster. Now, I love roller coasters, and we talk about things in life being roller coasters because we mean that they go up and down, right? Unless I'm very wrong. I think that's why we use this, you know, life's a roller coaster, COVID's been a roller coaster, love's a roller coaster. But I would like to reclaim roller coasters today as I talk about my life with Jesus because when you go on a roller coaster, if you decide to go on a roller coaster and you sit in that seat, someone comes and they strap you in and that is you, you're going on the roller coaster. And then you have that moment where it's like, and you're thinking, ha, yes, I'm here. This is where I am. There's no going back at that point. There's no getting out. You can't put one leg in and one leg out. You're all, your whole body, if you've decided with your head and with your heart you're going on, then your whole body is going on the roller coaster. If we are going to be reawakened people, it is going to require us to go all in with our whole heart. Every week, we repeat these words. We can pop the wee Shema on the screen. We remember that the call in our life is to love God back with all of our hearts, all our soul, all our strength. It would do a disservice to the story of the Bible, to the God of the Bible, if we left out that other half of that, if we just said, remember, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, love the Lord your God. It's important, the next bit is important the whole way through the Bible. As you read through the Bible, you can't not see how much God wants all of our love, all of our worship. In the first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah says, listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. As it goes on in, in chapter 17 of 2 Kings, it says, when the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites, he commanded them, do not worship any other gods or bow down to them. Serve them or sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you out of Egypt with mighty power and outstretched arm is the one you must worship. To him you shall bow down and offer him your sacrifices. You must always be careful to keep the decrees and regulations, the laws and commands he wrote for you. Do not worship other gods. Do not forget the covenant I've made with you and do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Do not worship other gods. Do not worship other gods. Repeated and repeated and repeated again. Worship the God who rescued you and who will be able to rescue you. The first commandment given to Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20 says, God spoke all these words. Number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. And the second one, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Don't make gods out of stuff that I have made. 
God wants all of our heart, all of our devotion. Where our hearts are divided, we need to consecrate ourselves again, set ourselves apart, be cleaned out again to give our whole hearts, our whole lives to Jesus. For the Levites in Hezekiah's story, it meant a massive clear out. They had to get rid of everything, anything in the temple that defiled it, anything that was not of God. Now, um, we are the temple. In the new covenant, we are the temple in whom God's presence dwells. So if God is to have the fullness of our heart, the fullness of our worship, then we need to be cleaned out of anything that would divide our hearts, that would turn our hearts away from him and be holy like he is holy. Now the Levites had a lot of stuff to clear out, it would seem, because they took 16 days consecrating themselves and consecrating the temple. And maybe you feel like it would take me 16 days, it would take me 16 years, I've got so much mess. Thankfully, it works differently for us now. You might feel like I've got a lot of mess. You might think, okay, I've maybe just got like a little tiny bit of mess, a little secret sin, a, leak, a little habit that I know I shouldn't have, a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of unforgiveness, a little bit of something. But if someone gave you a glass of water and they were like, don't worry, it's only got one bug in it. One bug or 20 bugs, I'm not, I don't want to drink that water. It's not going to be clean. So it needs to be cleaned first. It needs to be pure. We need to check our hearts. We need to repent. We need to allow God in to clean out anything that needs to go. We need to get rid of idols in our life. Years ago, years ago, I sat in a chair over there and Brian he wasn't preaching on idolatry or anything to do with it, but he talked about idols for whatever reason. And he said that an idol in your heart is anything you would say yes to before Jesus. And I was just like, oh gosh, <laughs> this is it. This is the thing that I need to like take out of my life. I need to uproot this. I need to get rid of it. We might have to do that right now. We might also feel like, okay, no, there's nothing that I'm overtly like kind of directing my love towards that isn't God. There's no like big sin. There's no uh, clear things of that, but maybe there's residue. Maybe there's like dirt left over from things that have been uprooted. And we say, Holy Spirit, make me clean. Start here, make me clean, make me new. I suspect that right now there are maybe things in our heart that we have tolerated because we've been in survival mode. Maybe a bit of envy, okay, that person's just had it a lot easier than I have, maybe a little bit of bitterness, but you know, it's understandable right now, or uh, we, we just have held on to a few things because we've been in survival mode, and yet it's time to move on, it's time to step out, it's time to draw a line in the sand and be like, okay, God, start with me, start with me now. The Levites cleared things out but they also brought things back that they shouldn't have got rid of. It says in 2 Chronicles, they went to King Hezekiah and reported, we've purified the entire temple of the Lord. We've prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They're now in front of the Lord's altar. There might be things that you need to clear out. There might be things that you need to bring back. And maybe we will know for ourselves things that we need to pick back up. And I don't necessarily mean things that you need to do. I mean matters of the heart. Maybe it's belief in God's goodness. Maybe it's an, ask, an area of your life where you need to trust him again. Maybe it is someone you need to forgive. Maybe we know for ourselves, okay, this is something that I have, I have sat down or I've let drift away or I've thrown out completely, but actually I need to go back and I need to bring that back to worship God fully. James, in the book of James, he tells us too to purify our hearts. It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts. Get that single focus back. Now, why consecrate ourselves or why purify our hearts. I can see three reasons. There's probably more as well. But number one reason I can see is that the Levites consecrated themselves and the temple so that God's presence would dwell there again. I know that if I want the fullness of God 
If I want all the fullness of him, then he deserves all the fullness of my devotion. Number two is that the priests who were slow in this story to consecrate themselves, they missed out. They were excluded from the first part of this process. They weren't able to function in their priestly role as they were meant to. And we know that we're not saved by God to then sit and wait in nothingness until Jesus returns someday, but actually we are called a royal priesthood. We have a role, we have a new identity, we have a function to fulfill, and I don't wanna hinder that. I don't wanna miss out on that because I need to purify my heart again. And then finally, and I don't have a full theological framework for this, so if you've got questions, save them for Brian, but in the book of Joshua, before they step into their breakthrough moment, he says to the people, consecrate yourselves. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I don't want to miss an ounce of breakthrough or answered prayer or anything that God wants to do in my life because I need to set myself apart again because I need to give God my heart again. I want to be ready. And as soon as the temple is consecrated, we read in Second Chronicles, it says, early the next morning, as soon as it happens, early the next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and went up to the temple of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, and seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. The king commanded the priests, the descendants of Aaron, to offer these on the altar of the Lord. There's more about the offerings they're going to make. And then in verse 25, we read, He stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres in the way prescribed by David and Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. So the Levites stood ready with David's instruments and the priests with their trumpets. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar. As the offering began, singing to the Lord began also accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of King David of Israel. David, king of Israel, the whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. Their worship in this moment is costly. It's sacrifice and worship, worship and sacrifice together. Their offerings are at that time an outward expression, a needed expression at that time of the state of their hearts, their hearts of worship. It says all those whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. It's their heart of worship is displayed. In First Chronicles, King David refuses to not pay the full price for an offering that he's going to make to Yahweh because he, he says, I won't offer God something that won't cost me anything. For us now, Costly worship looks different. In Romans 12, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing and holy to God. This is your true and proper worship. We don't have to offer anything to God to earn his mercy anymore, but instead, in view of his mercy, we offer ourselves, our bodies, our lives as a living sacrifice. And just like we can't put one leg in a roller coaster and have one leg stay on the land... You can't put one leg on an altar and keep one leg on the land. We have to get our whole selves. I have to put my whole self. I have to sit on the altar. I need to get on the altar. All in, whole body, whole life. True and proper worship is all in worship. We can't keep something to ourselves. We can't keep something aside. We can't have one area of our life which we hold on to. It's all in worship. And this will look like more than how much our heart is engaged with musical worship. It arguably won't look like less than that, but it will also cost us in the area of our time, our finances, our reputations, our friendships, our me time, my desire to feel understood and appreciated. It'll cost us in basically every area to worship God fully in this way. Romans 12 goes on and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks of a time coming when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, ages ago, it wasn't actually ages ago, it was just before COVID, but that's like 10 years, right? Seven dog years, yeah, a long time. Brian, we did a series on reawakening. Brian opened it up, he spoke about reawakening, and he said that one of the pillars of any time of reawakening is a return to the word of God. Now, we know that the truth is slippier than ever, and yet it will be more costly for us. Although it will be more costly for us to worship God with a biblical worldview, reawakening comes with the truth. It will come with a return to the word of God if we hold on to it. Now back to the story for a wee second. The Israelites celebrate, they go on to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. And then it says in chapter 30, the whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. Imagine if we did Christmas and then just all got together and agreed to do it all over again. Is that all it takes if we agree? We'll, we'll shelf that for later. So seven days of joy-filled worship and then seven more days of joy-filled worship. It's zeal, that's extravagance right there. And then in chapter 31, it says, when all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh. After they destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. Here we see the pattern play out. Reawakening starts here, here. And then our reawakened lives of worship fuel revival beyond us. The masses turn their hearts back to Jesus. The Old Testament is full of account of king after king after king. And the pattern is some of them did and some of them did not destroy the high places, all those places where other gods were worshipped. Some of them did, some of them didn't. In this moment in history, the people took it upon themselves. After this time of worship, after being in God's presence, they take it upon themselves and they go and destroy every other way in which they're worshiping other gods who are not the true God. They turn their hearts back to God together. Reawakening goes from person to church to land. And maybe we know by now that it starts here. It starts with us, but that it can't end with us. That's important. We need to know it starts with us. We need to also know and take hold of the fact it can't end with us. I don't know if you've noticed, but I talk about food a lot. I get told I talk about food a lot, and then that makes me feel self-conscious. But it's true. I talk about food a lot. And uh, maybe, yeah, you're probably one of many people in here who has gone to eat somewhere because I have spoken about it, either here or just you personally. I'm pretty sure we practically sponsor Hot Donut by now. I talk about food a lot. But I have felt the sharp conviction of the Holy Spirit of late about how easily, how joyfully I will preach the gospel of broths and bagels down the road. And yet how much harder I find it to talk about the best thing I know, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm doing this, the reason um, I want to get up in the morning, the only hope I have, how much harder I find it to talk about that. Why is that? And I know that the more awake I become to the gospel, the more uncomfortable I will be with not talking about it, the more I'll be able to say, okay, I just felt compelled. I can't help but speak of what I've seen if I actually come awake to the gospel again. And if we step out to share our faith, if we do that, we see in Hezekiah's story that there will be mixed responses. In his time, couriers go out from town to town and they call people to return to God so that he can return to them. And we see, it says, but people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. The call goes out 
Some scorn it, some return to God. Mixed responses are inevitable. No responses means that something isn't happening. You are loved. No matter what your story is today, you are loved. You're not an accident. You were designed by a God who loves you, who sees you, who wants relationship with you. And you were born into a broken and messy world and our hearts are broken and messy too. And God is so good, he can't be around evil. But he's also just so he's not going to just let it happen. He's not going to leave it unpunished. But actually, when there was no way, when there was no help possible for us, he made a way, sent his son to die to take the punishment for us. Jesus really lived, historical Jesus really lived, said he was God, died on a Roman cross. And we are here right now because he didn't stay dead. <laughs> But he is alive, and if we believe in him, if we believe in what he has accomplished on the cross, then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Our lives have meaning, our lives have purpose, we have a new identity in him, and we get to live for him now and forever. We get to know God. That's eternal life. That's the real hope that we have. And because of that, we don't need to hunt for hope or make hope or desperately spend our lives searching for hope in things that aren't going to give us any lasting hope, but we just need to wake up to the hope that we have in Jesus. We have real hope now and forever. And if we can be awake, if we can be people who are reawakened to the simple gospel, then out of that, we won't, cost the, we won't count the cost of a reawakened life. We won't be people who live counting the cost of our reawakened life because we will be so convinced of the greater cost on the other side. So why are we here? We are here to lay the foundations of a long-lasting reawakening, that this would not just be our hope, my hope, but that it would actually be Glasgow's hope, our city's hope, our friends, our family's hope for them to have as well. So dare we say this morning, okay, Jesus, I am yours. I believe in what you did. I believe in what you accomplished. Reawaken me. Reawaken me. And through me, reawaken other people. My life is yours. All my hope is in you. I've got some challenges for us today, but really they're just practical steps that you can take, and then I want to pray for us in a little moment. So my first challenge is to pray with us every week. We pray for God to reawaken our hearts, for God to reawaken our city. Join us. Pre-service prayer is just one of the ways that you can do that, but it is the, the, the way that we'll always continue. We're never going to stop doing that. That is our main way. So come and join us on Sundays. You are invited. Whether you've been here one week or a million, come join us as we pray. The second thing is that if you're like, I am all in with this vision. I am all in. I'm all in and this is my local church for now, then consider membership if you haven't already. Just consider it, have a little look at the commitments. The third thing, step out in boldness. I would love, if you feel like God is, is putting it on your heart, if your heart is burning for evangelism, for sharing your faith, if you're like, I, need, I, I just can't help but want to do this more, or I want to step out in new ways, or I identify as an evangelist with a capital E, and I want to help our church step into this, then please come speak to me at the end. I want to gather us together. I want us to step out in boldness and explore new ways we can do that. Okay, those are the challenges. Um, for now, I want to just pray for us, and we're going to go into a response time. I'd invite you, if you're able, let's stand together as we start to do this and start to respond to God. I want to pray for us, and I want to pray a really um, a simple prayer, but it's significant if you pray it, and it's bold if we will actually pray it, because I want to pray today, and you can agree with me if you want to agree with me. I want to pray, God, do whatever it takes to reawaken me. Reawaken me. Do whatever it takes. 
I want to pray that kind of prayer of surrender this morning. And if it helps you to do something with your body right now, even just close your eyes so we're all kind of, um, yeah, we're not watching each other. We're not self-conscious. But if it helps you just to like raise a hand or lower your arms or kneel or do whatever, but just to get into that kind of posture of surrender, I just want to pray for us, with us all right now, just that prayer of God, do whatever it takes to reawaken me. And if that's the prayer on your heart right now, let's pray, God, we need you. We turn to you. We turn our hearts to you. And we pray right now, God, do whatever it takes to reawaken us, me, myself, us as a church. God, reawaken us. Reawaken us. Holy Spirit, come fill us again. Touch our lives again, touch our minds again, transform us, Holy Spirit. Reawaken us, God, we wake up to you, we choose to wake up to you, to all that you are, that your kingdom might come in our time, reawaken us. And if you're here today and maybe you're like, okay, my first thing I need to do is I actually just, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe I've been here for a while. Maybe I'm, I'm just like, okay, I believe that. I believe that Jesus did what it needed to be done. I believe that he died on a cross, that he rose again for me. You can go up to our prayer team at the end. They would love to pray with you more, but you can even just pray a simple prayer along with me right now. Jesus, I believe in you. I need you. I need the hope that you can offer. I give my life to you right now. Forgive me. I turned my back on you, God. Forgive me. I turn back to you now. Holy Spirit, fill me. Make me new. And give me the joy of knowing you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.